0: Well, if you would turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter three, we are going to be unpacking um, in the next two weeks, weeks—the this week and next week in Romans three, uh, the remaining verses and good news, friends, we made it to the good news. We, we have made it through all of the early verses of Romans that were, I mean, wow, heavy, uh, good, but heavy and uh, and and. We knew the hope was coming. We just had to get there, right? It was just a matter of time before we, we rounded the corner. And Paul brings us now to the good news of the gospel in Romans chapter 3. I want to pick up where we left off last week in Romans chapter 3, verse 20. Okay, This is where we left off. By the works of the law, no human being will be justified. That is to, to be declared righteous in God's sight. Not one of us will ever experience that declaration of righteousness because of what we do. Good works. Trying to earn our way into salvation. No one can do that. And yet the world over, religion is busy today attempting it. Friends, it says so clearly right here, it doesn't work since through the law comes knowledge of sin. The law was never meant to save. You realize that? We saw that in in the, in the past number of weeks. You cannot be saved by keeping the law, because guess what? You can't keep the law. What the law serves to do is to show us our sin, to open our eyes to how much we need a Savior. We are not righteous, but we need righteousness. Here's the question then that must be at the forefront as we consider all the verses we've covered so far in Romans. If we cannot be righteous by works of the law, how can we ever stand before God and not be condemned? How does this work? How are we to find salvation? If the righteousness that we need, we don't have and we can't get in and of ourselves. It leaves us in the place where we say, we must have the righteousness of another. We need the righteousness from outside of ourselves, which is why I titled the sermon, Alien Righteousness. Now that might sound funny to you. I'm not talking about green guys, you know, with, with uh, antennas. I'm talking about some righteousness that is not in us. It, it, we don't have it. We need a foreign and outside righteousness, an alien righteousness. Brought to our situation. And the good news is, is that that's what we're going to cover today. Uh, Paul is a spectacular scholar and writer under inspiration. We're going to move through these things as he wrote. Man, awesome verses of the good news. So section one, made righteous through faith. Made righteous through faith. But now, okay, those are huge words. Paul is designating a massive, it's a, it's a sea change in the whole conversation. Everything we've been talking about so far has been revealing our depravity, our desperate need, our lack of righteousness. And now the transition happens, but now the righteousness of God has been made manifest or revealed or manifested apart from the law although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. So just to be clear, he wants to be clear, this is not something different than the Old Testament was teeing up. But the Old Testament is like the the tea stand, and now comes the gospel. That's the ball. The whole Old Testament has been anticipating this revelation, the New Testament fulfillment that it's been uh, building up. Now, chapter 4, we're going to build that, that phrase out. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, chapter 4, we're going to dig in and look at even Abraham and how he was declared righteous. We'll look at his faith and understand this is something not new, but it's new in its, in its revelation and its clarity. It's, it's, it's as if in the Old Testament you see this shadow being cast on the ground, and in the New Testament, all of a sudden you see the reality of that shadow. You see Jesus face to face. It is a righteousness, the righteousness of God, that comes. Now, this is an amazing thing. It's not just that God is showing his righteousness, that he does in creation, right? And he does it in his uh, gift of the law. The, the, the word of God reveals his righteousness. But now we have a righteousness that is revealed It's the righteousness of God that comes to us through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Now that's amazing. What he's saying here is there is a righteousness that Jesus has displayed, but it's not just just there. It's that righteousness that he has displayed that now can come to us. That is the alien righteousness that we have been longing for thus far in the book of Romans. For all who believe, we're going to build that out in a minute. Let's break this apart here, just, to, just so we see this, as Paul's writing this, those in the church who receive this, who, who know Christ as Savior, they're like, oh man, right on. This is a game changer. This is a total game changer. Because now you have Jews and Gentiles sitting side by side, and they have all things in common in Christ. They are positionally righteous as they sit together in Christ, in the gospel. And you have the lost in the city of Rome, all around, both Jews and Gentiles, who are then targets of this good gospel message. This this message is to go to the ends of the earth for all who believe. The fulfillment of Jesus Christ, the righteous. One of the most important things for us to recall when we think about the life of Jesus is not just His death. He lived to save you and He died to save you. When we say He lived to save you, we mean He lived righteously in a way that none of us have. He lived in obedience to the Father. Think of this. He never sinned. Never sinned. There's no one in this room that can say that. And as we saw last week, God doesn't grade on a curve. God doesn't grade our sin based upon the sins of others. He grades our sin based upon his holy perfection. And that's bad news for us, if that's the whole story. But the good news is that Jesus came and he lived the life we've never lived. He lived in righteousness, which qualified him then to take our sin and die the death we deserve. The righteousness of God meets us through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, this is the part of the gospel that people get stuck on, and they just say, well, this can't be. It's too simple. That, I mean, but what do we do? Don't we have to crawl up the steps on our knees and say a bunch of Hail Marys? Don't we have to do things? And Paul says, Believe. <laughs> the work is done. You, you, you are called into this righteousness through faith. Through faith. You just simply trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. He did all the work. Hmm. The righteousness is received through faith. What is faith? Well, faith is when I say I will trust this thing or this person fully. I will place my trust there. Now, it's, it's interesting that we use the word place. Where have you put your trust? Where, do, where have you placed it? All of you are sitting in chairs. You may not have thought of it as you sat down, but as you were sitting down, you were placing your faith in the legs of that chair to keep you from sprawling on the floor. Thankfully, that didn't happen. We place faith all the time. You place faith in the person who drives your car every time you get in and ride with them. So the faith that we are to place in Jesus is a purposeful, intentional, I choose, rather than trusting in myself, my goodness, my ability to be good before God. I don't trust that. I don't look to that. I look to Jesus and Jesus alone for my hope. It's why you have these simple gospel verses like this, Acts 16, 31. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's the the gospel. That's amazing to me how simple the gospel is. That's why when I was five years old, as a five-year-old, I understood the gospel by the grace of God. He lit my heart to see Christ. He he opened my eyes and and stirred in me a love for Jesus Christ. And, And I believed, and I was saved. That's why in our children's ministry, we're serious about the gospel. We're not babysitting in there, friends. We're teaching the gospel to the next generation so that they can believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved from their sins. The gospel is so incredibly simple that many find it hard to believe. That's the part about it that, that, that is so ironic. Yeah, but pastor, what do I do? I need something tangible. I need to say, yeah, but I did this, and so I know I'm okay. And what's weird is when people put baptism on the list, right? Yeah, but I was baptized. That, that's not what Jesus said. Be baptized and, and you will be saved. No, that's, he said, believe. The thief on the cross was not baptized. He simply turned after living all of that carnal life that he had and being rightfully convicted for his sins and crucified next to Jesus. He turned and he said, remember me. I'm looking to you, right? He was placing his faith in Christ. And Jesus' words were, today you will be with me in paradise that's the gospel it's so simple and so glorious so stunning in its simplicity this righteousness is something that we can have it meets us through the agency of faith and by the way that faith is the gift of god itself we're going to see that and it's for all who believe for all who believe that's amazing That's good news to the ends of the earth, right? We know that there will be some from every single nation, tribe, and tongue who believe. God has chosen, he has elected to the ends of the earth to bring to life some from every nation, tribe, and tongue. And so the question is is asked, well, where do we go with this good news? And I just asked the question, where do we not go with this good news, right? We go everywhere. Who are we not supposed to talk about the good news to? Answer, nobody. Everybody needs it. Jew, Gentile, slave, free, rich, poor, man, woman, old, young. I just fill in the blank. Everybody needs the gospel. Now, the scope and scandal of justification or this declaration of God, is it's, it's amazing when you think about what's happening here in, in, uh, in connection with who God is. Okay, let's look at the scope first. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The word there for fall uh, is, a, is a present active. So it's not just that we fell, it's that we fall and are falling every day short. We fall short, friends. There's no distinction. What does he mean by that? Well, it's good news for all people, for all who believe. And he wants to be really clear because he's talking here to Jews and Gentiles. He's bringing the gospel in a context of a radically different era. Where all of a sudden Jews and Gentiles are brothers and sisters in Jesus. The gospel is good news for all who believe because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All Jews and Gentiles are unrighteous and under sin. If you've been with us for any number of the weeks that we've been in Romans, you know this, right? Paul has emphasized this over and over with clarity. There is no one righteous, not even one. Don't just think because you're a Jew that you've got a free pass. No, you have the law. Yes, what an advantage that is. The problem is, is you don't obey it. You're under sin. Well, you're a Gentile. Well, well, we don't have the law. We, we can't be held to account. You can't be held to account of the written law, but the law that God has given through his revelation and your conscience is written on your heart. You fall short. You're under sin. All stand condemned. All fall short of the glory of God. So often in evangelism, this is the first verse we go to, right? It's near the front. I like to begin with God, the good creator, right? Start, start with the beginning of the story, Genesis 1 and 2. He's the author. He has rights over all he's made. But then the problem, well, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What does that mean? What do we mean when we say all fall short of the glory of God? It has to do with the, the, the purpose that we have been created for. God created all the animals, all of everything else, but when he created mankind, he created Adam and Eve in his image, the imago Dei. We carry the image of God, not in perfection, not in its fullness. We are not God. We are not little gods, to be clear. We are reflectors. We are called to be those that reflect the image of God. Sin happens when we fail to reflect the glory of God listen to how John Piper put it I, I really like how he built this out we reflect his glory as we cherish it and keep it ever before us and make it the treasure and goal of our lives but Romans 1 describes us all as, as having exchanged you remember how that word showed up in in Romans chapter 1 three different times they exchanged the glory of the Creator with images of creation, right? We have exchanged the glory of, his, uh, of God for His creation. Thus, we have traded treasures. That would be a, a way to describe idolatry, right? We prefer other things in life to the delights of seeing and knowing the God of glory. The heart of sin... Is a heart of idolatry that sees the glory of God and says, eh, no. I think I'll take this dirt instead. I'd rather wallow in the mud than see the beauty and glory of God. Now, this is something in us from the beginning. we said, we're born into this, this hatred of the light and love of the darkness. This is what we do naturally if left to ourselves. All of us would run all the way to the fires of hell if not for God stepping in and doing something to change the situation. Piper goes on, we lack God's glory as the treasure of our lives. It's one of the reasons why when we do baptisms, I like to ask the question, is Jesus your Lord, Savior, so King, Savior from sin, and treasure? Treasure. Christian, that is a good concept for you to to process and evaluate. Is Christ my treasure? Is the glory of God the highest value of my heart? Do I delight in him above everything else? What competing treasures can I identify? Those, my friends, are the golden calves, and those are to be ground into dust and tread upon in your life. Put those things down. There is to be no competing treasure with God. When we trade this and exchange it, we lack the glory of God as our passion and goal. We lack it as our all-satisfying vision. This, my friends, is the essence of sin, preferring other things to the glory of God. And when we say the glory of God, we're talking about God himself, the God of all glory. He is the greatest good. He is the greatest gift that He can ever give. That's why God is the gospel. He saves us for Him. We get Him. That's why eternal life is so amazing. If you could go to heaven and God wasn't there, that's not that amazing. Eternal life is amazing. Heaven, the new earth forever is amazing because we get God as the treasure forever. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short. We've all done that. We've all traded and exchanged the glory of God. But then he he keeps going. This is what I love. We're, We're into the gospel now. And all, all have sinned and all are justified by his grace as a gift. All to the ends of the earth, all nations, all Jews and Gentiles, those who believe are justified by his grace as a gift. Now, there's some big things happening in here. Part of what my goal is in this sermon is to explain these words, right? When he says justified by his grace, what what, what does he mean by that? Let's look at it. To be justified, as we saw last week, is a legal term. You're in the courtroom. Think gavel pound. Judge declares. And what does he stand over the sinner and say? Righteous. Righteous. You are righteous in my sight. Of us, he says that. Through faith in Jesus Christ. How is it possible that he could declare this of us? Well, he says, by his grace as a gift. Just, just so we're clear. There is no merit in the salvation of God. Not in the slightest. Oh, we, we think that there is. We, we live as if somehow we can gain His favor, we give enough money to this charity, do enough good things, compare myself to others. Well, I'm trying to be a good person. None of it counts in the salvation that the Bible points us to. The merit is not your own. You have not attracted the saving power of God by anything you've done. You've actually done quite the opposite. Even our most righteous works, if left to ourselves, are worthless. They're worthless. The grace of God, His grace. Grace means unmerited favor. It means that you don't deserve it. We, we don't deserve the salvation that God gives We are declared righteous by his kind intention, his volition, his decision to see us and say, I declare you righteous. I declare you righteous. Now, we're going to see this play out in the latter verses of Romans, but this is important. The merit that that Paul is excluding here is both that which you have done, doesn't count for any, any merit, or... Somehow, sometimes people think, well, God is going to look down the the, the corridors of my life and see some kind of merit down here and say, well, see, they're going to do something down here. That means I'm going to choose them. That's not grace. That's merit. Even if it's anticipated, it then denies the very word grace. It is not acted or anticipated, but it's simply given as a gift. It's given as a gift. Don't think this is cold. This is not some lottery, just random. Uh, rrr, bong, 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 bong. No, no, it's not like that. It's love. It's I see you. I see your sin. I know it all. And in the face of all of that, I choose to set my love upon you and bring you to salvation. Here's the gift. Wow. What a love we have in the gospel. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, for by grace, there's the word again, it is by the grace of God, the unmerited favor that you have been saved. And how did it come to you? Through faith that you, the gift came through faith. And then he adds this, and this is not your own doing, just to be clear, just so we don't turn faith into a work, right? Faith is not the, the, the all-glorious work that makes us righteous. We don't have the faith that we need. We can't save ourselves. The faith itself is a gift from God that he gives and that we exercise. We make a real choice as the result of God's in, uh, what's the word? Uh, he, he inclines to us. He initiates our salvation. When we say, oh Lord, save me. I turn from my sins. That is effect. The effect of God in us. The faith employs and we are declared righteous by God. Amazing. Now there's a scandal to this. The scandal is this. How can God declare guilty sinners righteous? And if we don't answer this correctly, we don't have a very good God. You've got to be, you can't just have a God who sees guilty people and is like, well, you know, you can't condemn everybody. We'll just call these guys good. I'm going to call them righteous. You're righteous. No, but I'm actually not. No, you are. Really? No, actually I'm not. You are. Is that what's going on here? Is God just saying, I'm going to say this over you? Can he sweep sin under the rug? Can he just say, you know what? I'm God. I don't have to punish all sinners. I can do whatever I want. Well, can he? You wouldn't believe how many people have concluded that in our day. There are so many people who are getting on the bandwagon of, well, there's no wrath. There's no hell, because God can do whatever He wants. Wrong! Wrong, wrong, wrong. God can never deny Himself. There are things God can't do. He cannot lie. He cannot be unfaithful. He cannot deal with sin in anything less than a just way. So how then could he ever see us and say righteous, righteous, righteous? You see the problem. The problem we have is there must be something behind the declaration. Otherwise, God is unjust. And if he's unjust, he is not good. He's a liar. He's not to be trusted. And we are all hopeless in what we do this morning. God has to be just in order to be good. We are justified by his grace as a gift. Here's the answer. Through, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. This is how God's justice is addressed, is upheld, is defended. It's through the work of Jesus Christ. We are redeemed. Here's another big word that we've got to make sure we're clear on. If You take a coupon and you redeem it. What are you doing? You're, you're taking this little piece of paper and you're trading it in for value. You're, you're, you're redeeming. You're buying back something with what you have in your hand, right? You redeem it. If you are in a situation and you are deeply in debt and someone comes in and pays that debt, they have, as it were, redeemed you from your debt. We are all under sin, hopelessly lost, bound for eternal wrath and hell under God's righteous justice. And God sends his son to buy us back from that debt, to redeem us for himself. Jesus paid the price for my forgiveness and freedom. Someone has to pay. The debt has to be paid one way or another. Otherwise, God is not just. And so he sends his own son to pay the price. And the price was high, friends. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed. By by whom? Who crushed him? It was the will of the Father. It pleased the Father to crush the Son. Why? Redemption. Wrath was being poured out by God the Father on His Son instead of on us. Upon Jesus was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His stripes, all of the lashes that He took, that is how we find forgiveness and life. For our sake, the Father, God the Father, made Him, that's God the Son, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. So God sends His Son to live in perfect obedience. He has righteousness. And God says now, I am going to set upon you the sin of all who believe in Christ. I am going to take all of that sin. Think of the weight of of that massive amount of sin and I am going to place it on the shoulders of my son such that when he experienced the suffering, he was paying for our sins in his body on the tree so that we might become the righteousness of God. This is, this is a mind-blowing concept. The, the, the word here is, is imputation. Imputation. So if you think of a a bank situation, let's say you're in debt. You're you're $10 million in debt. You're hopeless to pay that off in your lifetime. There's no way you can pay it. And all of a sudden, someone walks into the bank and says, I will assume that debt, put it in my account. I will take that debt. Okay, well, that's great news. But that's not the whole story of the gospel. Here is what is deposited into my account. Not just removed, but the deposit of one, I don't know, gazillion dollars. A a mind-blowing, infinite number is placed into my account. So I am no longer just neutral. I am righteous in Christ. Every time he obeyed, when the Father looks at me, he smiles. And he says, righteous. Think of this. You know, mason jar? like a mason jar picture yourself standing in a mason jar the mason jar is jesus righteousness the father cannot look at you any longer and see the horror of your sins it's dealt with it's clean it's it's removed from you as far as east is from the west when he sees you he sees you but he sees you through the righteousness of christ Friends, we are robed by faith. We are robed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We wear it like a robe. I was going to try to find a big white robe. I didn't want a bathrobe. That would have been weird. But I wanted like, like a big white jacket of some sort. You know, white, just like head to toe. That's what it's like for those in Christ. When you walk around and the Father looks at you, Christian, He delights in what He sees because you know what He sees? the obedience of his son. He sees you there. What's amazing about this is that can happen at the exact same time you can be a sinner still. (laughs) Simul ustis et peccator. Simul, right? Simultaneously is the Latin. Simul ustus, just. At the same time you can be justified, declared righteous, and peccator, sinner. The reality is believers are not sinless, are they? Your pastor is not sinless. We are being sanctified to become who we already are in Christ day by day, more holy. Take that sin. Hunt it down. Put it to death. Obey Him. But we are positionally righteous. That's why I can say greetings, saints of Good Shepherd Community Church. You're a saint. You realize this. In Jesus Christ, you are righteous. Positionally righteous, progressively so, day by day. Amazing gospel implications. So don't think of the father up there just with a big frown on his face, Christian. Don't think of Jesus as the one who is is close, who's kind of defending you from an angry father. That's not the case. The father delights over you because he sees the rightness and righteousness of his son. We are saved by grace alone, as the reformers made clear. By grace alone, unmerited favor. There is no one who is saved by adding any amount of works and saying, I deserve it. No works are behind your salvation. Through faith alone, you're not earning it, you're not performing things. It's, the same, it's kind of the echo. By grace Through faith alone. In Jesus Christ alone. There's no other Savior. No one else to look to to save sinners from their sins. Now, the final two verses, the vindication of God's righteousness. There's a little background here that Paul wants to make clear before he moves on to the next passage. The vindication of God's righteousness. All of this is uh, through Jesus Christ the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation, here's another big word, by his blood to be received by faith. That's a theme that just echoes through all of this. God the Father, be clear, when you read, always, always think pronouns. Which member of the Trinity are we talking about? God the Father put forward his Son, Jesus Christ, as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. Hmm. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure. That He should give His only Son to make a wretch. I said it, a wretch His treasure. You feel the change here? I am not who I once was. In Jesus Christ, I am the Father's treasure. Sometimes we get this wrong. We think that the Son is up there saying, I just want to save them. And the Father's like, oh, I don't know. They're pretty bad, pretty messed up. I'd rather just lightning bolt them, right? Let's just send some hailstones. That, that is wrong thinking, friends. The Trinitarian work of salvation is perfect in its unity. There is no conflict within the Trinity. God is not saying, the Father is not saying, I don't know, I'm not really sure if we should. No, the Father plans of old, elects of old, and then He gives His elect to His Son as a gift, and He says, go and pay their ransom. And the Son goes down and accomplishes His mission, joyfully obeying the will of the Father, submitting His will to the Father. And then He doesn't leave it like that. He sends His spirit to realize the gospel in our life and make us live from our death. They are one in love and purpose, which is why they get all the glory. John says it this way, very similar echo of this. In this is love, the love of God, the love of the Father was made manifest among us that God the Father sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. How? By faith, right? Through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God. Let's be clear. It's grace. It's not meritorious here. We're not like, hey, we love you, God. We love you. Right? We're worthy of your salvation. Not that at all. It's not that we love God, but that he loved us. He initiates this. He accomplishes this. And He sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. There's that word again. Let's be clear on what that means. The propitiation by the blood of Jesus means the wrath-satisfying payment. That payment had to be made to the Father, to God the Father. He is judge and He is just. And so He sent His Son to appease His wrath against all who believe. There is only two ways for the Father's wrath to be uh, addressed. One is on the cross, the other is in the fires of eternal hell. The wrath of God is being revealed against sin. He is rolling waves of wrath already. He's he's pouring it out. The question is, is that going to fall on your head or on Christ? Salvation has everything to do with wrath. As we've seen, it's righteous wrath. God is just. He doesn't sweep sin under the, under the rug. He pours his wrath out on his son. Six hours of horrible outpouring of wrath. And the, the son drank every last drop so that at the end of those six hours, at three o'clock, when he said it is finished, it was paid, paid in full. And he gave up his spirit. This comes to us by faith. Hmm. This was to show, Paul goes on, says, this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Wow. Wow. In the Old Testament, we just moved through the book of Leviticus. Remember that over here? All the sacrifices, all of the work. These these sins were committed, but the blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sin. They kept having to sacrifice over and over and over, says the writer of Hebrews. So we know that this had to be anticipating something of an actual payment for sin. Their sins were covered only. Covered, but not dealt with and put away. They were covered. The Lord passed over in his forbearance. Former sins. So that when Jesus Christ was crucified, the faith of every obedient man and woman who sacrificed under the old covenant was realized in the death of Christ. You realize this, we're all saved the same way. Old Testament, New Testament, by faith and in a Savior, a Messiah, whose name we know is Jesus. Hmm. Old Testament salvation was faith-filled anticipation. New Testament salvation is faith-filled celebration of the one Savior of all of all time. And then he says this. This is that problem that we started with, right? How can God be just and at the same time declare sinners righteous? And Paul wants to make really clear, God is just and he is the justifier. How can a good and righteous God ever forgive guilty sinners who deserve only eternal wrath? How can guilty sinners ever stand before a righteous God and be declared righteous in His sight. All of this is answered, friends, in the Gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news, that's why it's all about Jesus. That's why we just keep pointing to Jesus. He's the focal point of the whole thing. John Piper said it this way. I love how he sums this up. The wisdom of God devised a way for the love of God to deliver sinners... That's us from the wrath of God, which is what we deserve while not compromising. Here's the heart of it. The righteousness of God. It had to be upheld. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is the answer. When you see the cross, friends, I want you to in your mind, just think of the arms of Jesus outstretched here. It's a helpful reminder. On the one hand, you see the justice of God being poured out upon Christ. If the question is ever, how serious is my sin against a righteous and holy God? The cross answers it very clearly. It's a big deal. He takes it deadly serious. But the other hand outstretched reminds us of his mercy for sinners. That's why Jesus was there to absorb the wrath of the Father and take that sin and pay it in full so that the likes of us could be forgiven through faith in Jesus Christ. What good news is that? That's amazing. Our response this morning is a song that goes like this. In the cross alone I glory. In the cross alone I glory. Nothing of my own to give. I bring nothing to the table. Only that which Christ has offered for my soul that I may live. I want to ask you a question before I close in prayer. Where have you placed your faith today? There's a lot of people who have placed their faith in various things. The problem is, is they tend to be lesser treasures. Treasures. Things like the 401k. Things like family values. Even other things that may be considered noble, right? Family, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a good thing, right? Place faith in, uh, well, in, in your hard work, right? Faith in government. No, we're not struggling with that much lately. where have you placed your faith, right? Friends, it's all sinking sand. There's only one rock, and his name is Jesus Christ. And the door stands open today. Trust him. Repent of your sins. Run to him. Cling to him. And you will be saved. Embrace him as Savior and Lord. Let's pray. Oh God, we give thanks to you for your great love that we don't deserve. You love us so much that you have sent your one and only Son that whoever, to the ends of the earth, whoever believes, should not perish under your wrath eternally in the fires of hell, but experience eternal life, life without end, life abundant, through faith in Jesus Christ. Oh, Father, I pray even now that you would be stirring in the hearts of people in this room. Help us to see clearly in this world that there's so much just distraction and and silliness in this world. Help us to reckon with what really matters today. Help us to see things through the eyes of your Spirit. Open our eyes, unstop our ears, and show us the glory of a Savior who paid it in full so that we might be forgiven. Lord, bring faith. Bring life. Bring light. Help us to see Jesus and run to Him with all our might. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.